Welcome to Teacher Talks at Valdosta State University with your host, Dr. Forrest Parker, brought to you by the Dewar College of Education and Human Services and the Department of Teacher Education at Valdosta State University. Okay, so welcome to another exciting episode of the Teacher Talk here at Valdosta State University, a podcast for teachers by teachers. We have a very special guest here with us today, my dear friend, Dr. Gail Ramirez. How are you doing, Gail? I'm great, Dr. Parker. Thank you for such a sweet intro. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah, she didn't pay me for that or anything. It's true. So we're filming this in front of our live studio audience. And these are teacher candidates who, in a few short months, will be real-life teachers. A few of them actually already have their own jobs. And what's it, how many days? 37 days. They've started the countdown. Okay, so Dr. Ramirez, so a lot of these students you've had before, yes. but for those that you haven't, and for our listeners at home, can you introduce yourself? Okay. Sure. I am Gail Ramirez. I am uh, in teacher education here at Valdosta State University. I teach mainly in the elementary education department. Um, I was a I worked in the public school systems for most of my career. I've been here now for. A year. A year. I've been here at BSU for a year now. So. I didn't realize you were here so soon. I, just I feel told like you're, you we're like twins. I know. We started practically at the same time. I feel like you're just a fixture here. I, I don't know. know. Maybe it's just me. So do they. That's right. all I know, too. So what, what subjects have you taught when you were in K-12 setting? Hmm. I taught um, first grade for the first three years, and then the remainder of the time I taught fifth grade. So I taught science, social studies, and math for hmm. most for part of that, but I always taught fifth grade math. Okay. Is that your favorite? And I don't teach math now, so there's That's that. That's like the one thing, right? That's the one thing I don't teach. Um, so where did you teach mostly? What area? Here in this in this area. Um, I taught okay. um, at S.L. Mason. I heard somebody saying S.L. Mason a few Woo. months ago. I started my yeah. career in first grade at S.L. Mason, <laughs> um, and I moved to the fifth grade hall at S.L. Mason, and then I went to Dewar Elementary. Anybody at Dewar? Nobody? Yes, no. Oh, no, there. <laughs> so Dewar Elementary, and I spent the rest of my career there. Cool. And uh, with, without giving us too much about your age, oh, how I'm long did you so teach? Old. 14 years. 14 years. Mm -hmm. Nice. So you had a nice little career. You're going to finish up here at Valdosta? Finish up. I'm going to retire and grow old with with you. Oh, nice. Good. So you taught for 14 years. Mm -hmm. What brought you into education in the first place? Mm -hmm. Oh, funny story. So I was a postal carrier, you know, mail carrier, you know, that delivers your mail. And it was kind of a family thing because my mom was a postmaster. My sister carried mail and I loved it. It was the coolest job that you get as much freedom as you you know, wanted to get. Um, but then I had children that I needed to stay home with. So I stayed home and I was a stay at home mom for, well, until my youngest turned three and went into pre-K. And then when she went into pre-K, I thought, think I'll do something, you know, kind of broke. We got three kids. So <laughs> so you I, went with the job that pays the most money. That, right. So, so I started, I, well, even better, I started subbing. Oh, okay. Um, so I started subbing and then did a long-term sub in a preschool mm -hmm. setting that was um, severe and profound. Oh, wow. And we, we the, I was a substitute pair pro, so even less money. So <laughs> we were assigned two students and the two students I had were both autistic. And they were nonverbal. And so I had to learn sign language to be able to communicate with them. So I just one day said, this is it. Hmm. 
this is my thing. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. So what, what about that experience? Mm, those kids were fantabulous. I, mm. I really loved being with those kids. It was difficult and it was tiring mm. as education is, mm. but um, to feel like you can change somebody, you know, it's, it's pretty rewarding. Interesting. So you, you kind of fell in love with the kids more than the profession maybe. Oh yeah. That's probably the way it goes. That, that explains a lot about you. I didn't know this. Really? You're, yeah. You're very relationship oriented. Like oh, funny everything. Yeah. Oh yeah. That is our topic today. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You're very relationship oriented. Everything is sort of like collegially, like between us at the staff here. I feel, I feel that from you. And then what you've talked about and what you harp on is, is really about the relationships. And so it's funny that that's what brought you into education in the first place. Yeah. So you left the classroom and came to VSU, mm -hmm. which it's still a classroom, but it's different. Mm -hmm. What made you want to do that as a professor here? Well, you know, I lived out the pandemic mm. in, in the public schools and that was, that was pretty tiring. Mm -hmm. It was pretty tiring, but um, there was no real for, forward movement for me uh, with my doctorate degree. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I needed yeah. to move. And if I was going to move out of the classroom because my heart is in the classroom, mm -hmm. I thought, hmm, what could I do? that I could move and grow as a, as a professional, but, you know, still be in the classroom. So mm -hmm. uh, VSU fell into my lap. Did you have the same kind of warm and fuzzy feelings coming here as you did to the classroom? You know, everybody always asks me, do you miss the kids? Yeah. And I don't. I love <laughs> these people. Well, we have like you. these people, these, like this cohort, these are yeah. my people. Yeah. I love these guys. Nice. I do. So keeping on um, with our topic of relationships, you wrote your article that we all read about the importance of relationships in the classroom. All the things you could have chosen, because I didn't tell you what to pick. You just, that was what you came up with. I left it very open. Why, why relationships? What about it? Well, I, I, think it's, I think it's the most important thing. I think it's the most important thing that we do as teachers. Not reading or writing? No. No. Really? No, no content. No, if, if you're going to do anything right, do the relationships right. Okay. So that's, you think that's the most important thing for teachers to take out of yes. this if they can? Absolutely. You're so certain of yourself. Uh, no, I'm absolutely certain. Okay. You can do all things once you've built relationships. Just a quick poll from the, our audience here. Do y'all agree with her? Is relationship the most important thing? Raise your hand. Now okay. ask them, those that have had me, if they feel like that was my stance. And I'll close my eyes. Okay. Because We're, this is a podcast. You can, it's not right. Me. Yeah, no one can see. Yes, no. You can't hear me? Oh, I'm so sorry. There's a whole first row right here. Dang it. I'm going to have to edit that out. <laughs> I can't yell louder because of the recording. Yeah, I'm so sorry. So that was a very interesting thing. They all pretty much agreed. I, don't, I didn't notice anybody who disagreed that mm -hmm. relationship wasn't your thing. Um, but, you know, we live in a time where we have politicians mm. who are very vocal about criticizing our profession, about teachers. Um, and they'll say that they view it as just kind of like an easy degree to get. It's not one that's very important. They recommend that people get a degree in like math or science and then, then you can just teach because you don't need any other skills to teach. As long as you understand the content, you're, you're fine. Um, I guess I won't name any names, but there are politicians who've gone on the records, governors of states that have um, opened the door to people with just 
60 credit hours. Um, as long as you've been in the military, you can teach. You don't need a, a bachelor's degree um, to kind of fill the gaps because we don't have enough enough teaching staff. And um, yeah, so their their feelings are that the education degree is not rigorous enough and that especially for elementary school, we get accused of being babysitters. So what do you have to say about to those politicians? Mm. Being babysitters, I guess there may be teachers out there that you may get accused of being babysitters, but typically um, teachers are in it for the heart. They're in it because it matters and it matters what the outcome is for the kids. Well, I think that that's what the politicians are saying. They're saying you should just focus on teaching the content. If no. we're trying to make teachers smarter, our kids smarter, just teach the content. No one, all this other manby, pamby relation stuff. No. What, no, what's no. your response to that? What do you mean, no? No. These are <laughs> such smart now. people. Yeah. No, no, stop. You're ruining the whole thing. No, yeah. um, no, you can't, you can't teach a child before you have a relationship with a child. If a child doesn't trust you, there's absolutely nothing you can do with them in the classroom. So content's out the window. So there's, there's no content happening if you don't have the child and the trust of the child before you start. Hmm. Interesting. Obviously, I agree. But I'm obviously playing, but you're so I love this devil's advocate. Playing devil's stuff. advocate, that's right. Um, because I'm like, I know you. Well, you know, it, it's it's personal to me because it's it's our livelihood as you know, it's it's I went to school for it, you all went to school for it, and we have people in power um, that are actively um, undermining our profession and our dignity um, and being willing to take almost anyone, making the it make it so easy to become a teacher that um um, to fill those gaps. And I just, I worry, honestly, I worry about the kids that, that have those classrooms. Nothing against those people individually who are in that circumstance, but I'm not sure that's, that's the best, the best move. I think you agree. Um, so a lot of our listeners here are high school teachers and they don't have their kids like all day, right? You only have your kids for like 45 minutes, an hour, some of you an hour and a half. Is that really enough time to build a relationship? It's not like elementary school where you have them all day long, right? Sure. Sure. No, absolutely it is. Um, and little things, and I've, I have read some of their comments, so I'm trying not to lean toward the things they've already said. But um, a, a lot of times it's just reaching out to the kids. Have you ever seen the little high fives or the little secret handshakes when they walk in the door? I know that's very elementary, and I actually got accused today of being very elementary. So I'm a, I apologize for those of you that what? are not elementary. That's so elementary of you. Um, but absolutely, just greeting a kid at the door. Um, hey, I saw y'all win that game last night. You know, they get so excited that you're invested enough into them. And even if it is 45 minutes, you know their name. That's huge. That's huge for me when I am. Um, when I take role on the first date, even with you guys, and I'm taking role, I'm writing things. Glasses. Hmm. Said they have a dog named Fred. You know, so I'm making connections so that I can remember your names quicker, those assimilations. And trying to make connections with your kids is so important because they feel like like they matter. And when kids start feeling like they matter, then, then they're invested in you and whatever it is you're going to do, no matter how hard or easy or fun or whatever, they're invested in you and making you happy. So they know that they matter, then all of a sudden you matter. So you gave one example of, so this whole idea is under the umbrella of social emotional learning, which I think you talked about in your article. Um, 
And you, you mentioned like the handshake coming in. Yeah. Are there any other specific ways that um, we can build relationships with students? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I talked about one in, in the blog to uh, the check-in, check-out. And somebody commented on it um, on the blog that this is something that I did as a student in the doc program here at VSU. And I thought, this is the most ridiculous thing. This man is not making, first of all, making me get up out of my seat where I'm already comfortable. Because y'all know we like our seat. We like our assigned seat. And don't sit in my assigned seat because I was already there before you. And next week, that's my assigned seat too. And this is my comfort zone. But he would make us get up and walk out into the little breezeway. And we would circle up and we would check in. So he would just say, you know, tell us something. Maybe, you know, maybe you had a flat tire on the way to school or whatever. And um, we would check in and say, but I'm putting all of that behind me and I'm checking in and I'm here 100% for you, for my classmates, for myself. Um, And then before we left class, because it was a whole Saturday together, before we left class, we checked back, we checked out. So we kind of recapped maybe something we learned or something we wanted to try in our classroom or whatever. And, um, you know, shared that experience and said, I'm checking out. So I'm kind of gone. I'm checking out and going away now. Um, and I did this with fifth graders and I do this occasionally. I don't know if I did it with these people or not, but, um, I do it occasionally with my college students too. Um, and the relationships that are built, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's indescribable. Um, fair warning. You're going to hear things that sometimes may not be fun to hear. You know, Mm -hmm. my grandma's dying or, my dog died on the way to school. The, the bus hit him and I watched him bleed to death as we drove away. I mean, you know, sometimes things are traumatic. and But that also lets you know, hey, this kid's going to have a bad day. Mm-hmm. So I need to kind of know that going in. And those greetings at the door, those are things that, you know, you're checking in with your kid, even if it's just for a moment. How is today? Some some teachers have color-coded cards where the kids come. Or, or even I've seen people do color-coded bracelets where they come in and they choose the bracelet based on how they're feeling today. So you know not to push them too far because they're wearing that red bracelet today. Y'all, I need a red bracelet. I need a red bracelet today. So that's... Don't you think they'd take advantage, though, if they knew, oh, if I just ask for a red bracelet, she'll leave me alone? What do you think? I don't think so. I think that once you build those relationships and the kids understand that you're invested in them and they become invested in you, then it changes the whole dynamic. They're, They're invested in the class and what you're doing. But don't you think that like some teachers have just got it? Like they, they come out for, straight from college and they just, they're able to build those relationships. They just have the right personality. They're at the right group of students. Like something's just mesh. And then you have some people that might be straight A students in college, but, or whatever their situation is, but it's like, they just don't have it. Do you believe people are like born with being like a good teacher? Is there a teacher gene? Do you think? That's a good question. I, I do feel like some people are more naturally that teacher mentality. Um, people that know me probably would not say. <laughs> I was the, the, te- the teaching profession was the furthest thing from anybody's mind when they knew me, especially as a, a child. Um, and, and I don't have that sweet demeanor of, you know, oh, everything's great. I'm not a coddler. Y'all know that. Um, but I think that once you get in that space, your space, that becomes your family. Like, whether you like it or not, you have 180 days to spend with these people. And you got to make it work. So, you know, you always have the awkward stepsister, you know, whatever. Right. There's, there's going to be people that you may not match very well with. But I think for the most part, 
most teachers, because they went into a profession knowing that this is a hard place to be, mm-hmm. but these are the things that matter and it's the people more than the content, I think that those are the real. And so if some of our listeners here find that they are struggling to like connect with the students, I, I can imagine I taught as soon as I graduated, I ended up teaching high school for a year, you know, and I'm four years older than the people around me. I thought you were going to say than me. I am so young and fresh. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but what can those teachers do who are struggle to like have relationships or who feel like they don't really mesh well with students? Well, so I have a story. Share. And this is when I was, I was a pretty new teacher and I was teaching first grade. And for the most part, you know, you can get along with you know, little six-year-olds. You know. But there was this one child that I could not connect with. I just could not connect with her at all. There was there was just something about the two of us that we did. We, there was there was no connection made between yeah. between us. And I really struggled with this, and I knew I had to do something to get past this. And we actually were in a training that was the most boring training I have ever been to in my entire life. But I learned something from it. And the man, the psychologist, so you can imagine how boring it was. Um, in the video said, you probably should edit that. <laughs> I was thinking like, oh, I have a degree in uh, psychology, so, but okay. Uh, point taken. <laughs> um, so um, he um, said to find that one thing with a student. Just go and look for that one thing. So I, thought, I, mean, I mean, from the moment we sat down in that training, I was like, I, this little girl was on my mind. I was like, there, there is not a one thing. There is, I don't, there's not. Oh, and no. I was, I was adamant. There is not one thing that I can connect with this child. Hmm. So I went back to the classroom. And this was my new goal. I was going to find that one thing that I could praise that child for, that I could, I could make her feel like she was important. And this child actually wrote the best stories, even as a six-year-old. Hmm. I could vividly picture the story that she was telling. So, um, and still can picture the story that she told. Um, so I would praise her on that one thing. She was such a great writer. She was so good at this. She was so good at this. And, and I would say that to her friends and I would say that out in class. I would say, Oh, well, let's read what she wrote because I know that she does. And immediately we started to bond and she started to trust me a little more. And I started to see that wall come down a little bit and that relationship. So is it always going to be there? Are you always going to be able to connect with every child? No. But as a teacher, it's our job to get past that. It's, mm-hmm. not, the child's, it's not the child's job to get past that. It's our mm-hmm. job as the adult to get past that and to figure out how we can make that connection. Yeah, I didn't even think about having like a kid who's just like a jerk that you just don't get along with. Like I was thinking like it was the teacher's fault, but sometimes... You know, you have a difficult kid, right? And not to take over the interview, but I can think that of plenty of students that I was like, this is this kid is causing all the behavior problems in my class. Somehow I have to win over this kid. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you would agree with this, but I've been saying to my class, I've asked them true or false. In today's age, teaching is a popularity contest. And I tell them yes, because you can't slap them around right? Or that's frowned upon, I've heard. I don't know. Um, (laughs) And so I have to sort of win them over with my charisma and bow ties. And so even the difficult ones, like fighting them, you're going to lose. They're going to make your life a living hell. Mm -hmm. 
and their life is already a living hell, so they don't really have anything to lose. So trying to find a way to connect with the one kid who's dirty or the one kid who's an asshole or the one kid who's just a super obnoxious, you know, or the one kid who's a bully or it's, it, there's always something about that kid. And it's different for each of us. Like sure. snotty noses really like it, like it's disgusting to me. And I always struggled with the kids with the snotty noses because they're the same ones that want to run up and <laughs> give you a hug and stuff like, Ugh! I feel like I'm playing football, like, you know, palming them out of the way. Um, that was something I had to struggle with. And so if I had a kid who was really like dirty and kind of sickly, I really had to struggle to show them the same kind of love and affection yeah, sure. that they deserve as human beings. Right. So you, you jumped ahead and answered the last question. Oh, sorry. Oh. But that was really good. I'm wondering. Another story. I don't know. Oh, you can pull some out. But uh, I, I do have another story tell us. because you started talking about that kid that always causes the problems. Um <laughs> I had a student. You were that, that kid. Oh, I was definitely <laughs> that kid. Um, but I had a student that just wouldn't do anything for me. I mean, he would not do anything. He was playing. He would be on his Chromebook on YouTube, you know, whatever. You're having him shut him out of everything. He wouldn't do his work. He didn't turn in his homework. He did nothing all day long. So what, as a teacher, you become frustrated, right? You're not doing what I'm telling you to do. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes it's that kid that there's something beyond that. Mm-hmm. So you have to find out what the story is. And this kid was not on the grade level that I was teaching. And he was way behind. And mm. I'm talking years behind. Um, so I started spending recess sitting on the bench with him, walking him through. And he looked so forward to that moment on the wow. bench learning with me. But it was one-on-one. And it didn't make him feel stupid because he wasn't sitting in the classroom where everybody right. could see that he didn't know. Yeah. Um, so there's always a story. There's always a story behind why kids do something. And until you understand your kids and until you build those relationships with your kids, yeah. you, you'll never know. In full transparency, I was that kid. Like I was re- years and years behind. And finally, I had a teacher that let me stay after school. And she would give me these little banana nut bread things he used to buy at the Piggly Wiggly. And I would eat a snack. And then she would work with me after school. So it wasn't embarrassing. And I was finally able to get caught up. So Every story, every child always has a story. Mm-hmm. Um, teaching fifth grade one time, I had a girl that I knew she was capable. She was low, but mm-hmm. I knew she was capable of doing the work that I was asking her to do. And I says, hey, why are you not doing this work? I know you can do this. And she says, I was Miss Valdez. And she says, Miss Valdez, I can't. I said, no, 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 you can. Why are you not doing your homework? Oh, no, you don't understand. I can't. When I go home, my 10-year-old child, my 10-year-old student, when I go home, I have to take care of my siblings, and I have to feed them and get them to bed. I, I can't get my homework done. She, at 10 years old, was going home to be mama. So until you know the story that your kids have, you don't really know where they're coming from. Relationships. Relationships. Are there any questions from the audience? Okay. Any questions? Uh, no. Today's today's kind of a low. Anybody want to ask a question off the record? Really? Wow. Okay. Well, let me just on the record. Whoa! Come on down so I can get your your voice on this phone. Oh, I'm so this sorry. This is why they don't want to move. I get. I don't know. I think everyone's tired tonight, more than normal. Yeah, go go for it. No. 
I, I can't. And you're oh, I was just speaking loud enough. Okay, there you go. Okay. So how do you find the line between having those good relationships and also being the authority figure? Oh, Malia, that's a good question. Okay, you are not their friend. So let me clarify the difference mm -hmm. between an adult-child relationship and buddies. Be very careful because it is a very fine line. You want to know. You want them to know that you're invested. You want them to know that you care about them. You'll go to their football game, whatever it is. You maybe stay with them after school if they need help. Sit with them on the playground at recess. Um, but you're not their buddy. So you definitely have to draw that fine line to where they understand you are still that authority figure. So you're not hanging out chumming with the friends on the playground as they're doing, you know, 10 year old things or 15 year old things or whatever age group that you're teaching. But they do know that, hey, on field day, Dr. Ramirez, she'll come run relay races with us. You know, so they they know you're there and you're fun loving, but there's a fine line between I'm your buddy and I'm your friend to um, the authority. And I'm using air quotes for a reason, the authority in the classroom. So you do have to still keep that, you know, level of authority um, with your kids. But the relationship, if the relationship comes first, they respect you enough mm -hmm. that they don't cross that boundary. Does anybody else have that problem or that situation where you feel like, you want to be nice to your students, but are they taking advantage or treating? Okay, you only have a few hands. I'm not surprised. I, I felt that way as well. Especially as they're coming out as students. Mm -hmm. They love to cling to those VSU students. Mm -hmm. And I think especially student teachers, mm -hmm. you know, it's not your class. The buck doesn't stop with you right now, but pretty soon, or some of y'all that does stop with you, but pretty soon it's going to stop. Stop. Um, with you, and it's important to draw those distinctions. That my suggestion is handle every situation fairly and firmly, but with compassion. Mm -hmm. It's always to me everything is about building that relationship up. So if, if you're giving punishments, if they feel like you are punishing them, it's going to hurt the relationship. Um, is there anything else, uh, Dr. Ramirez, that we did not talk about that you think is important in our concluding remarks here? Mm, I don't think so. I think we covered it. I like the stories we told. Yeah. Relationships. 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 Yeah. Very nice. Teacher Talks at Valdosta State University is produced by Ricky Z Social Media and is brought to you by the Dewar College of Education and Human Services and the Department of Teacher Education at Valdosta State University.